So, good morning. If you're here in the uh, Western Hemisphere, uh, good evening, good night, depending on where else you might be in the world. We're going to talk today about uh, something that most docs still are not there on, but there is real, real progress on it, and that is why we really use statins. And it's more for cardiovascular inflammation than for LDL. As you know, most docs are still focused on LDL, cholesterol, the quote, bad cholesterol, which is not really bad either unless you start looking at uh, specific parts of it. Why is it taking so long for the medical community to wrap its head around this issue? Well, you know, it, it, it helps to go back in history and look at other things that the medical communities had to learn. It takes a while. So, for example, and my good friend uh, David Mites, some of you know him. He's a dietitian. He's somebody who does a lot of um, cardiovascular uh, prevention programs. He's done some work with us in the past, and he... he uh, presented this on history of medicine and how long it takes for medicine to learn something. So it was 200 years uh, for vitamin C. You know, the uh, sailors on British ships uh, back in the 1800s were called limeys. That had to do with this vitamin C issue. You see, 200 years before that, Someone had discovered that if you want to cure scurvy, you give somebody citrus fruit, things that have has vitamin C in it. Well, the British Navy discovered that, and the uh, for sailors, uh, scurvy was a big, big issue a couple hundred years ago. So British sailors realized the British Navy realized they could store limes on board and uh, keep them for months at a time while sailors were out on the boats. So they kept them, uh, they kept lime on board. So it's an interesting uh, historical point. And for those of you who like trivia, you know, that's why folks are called limeys. Uh, we're called limeys in the British Navy. But the point for us is it took 200 years, not two years, not 20 years, 200 years from the time that that was discovered, for it to filter over and actually start having an impact on public health. Let's go to metformin. Metformin is the most popular and one of the most effective, the most effective early um, diabetes drugs. In fact, uh, it, it, depend, it doesn't matter whose uh, standards you look at, the standard recommendations for the first, uh, once somebody starts getting into moderate um, prediabetes and um, significant diabetes, first, first medication, you know, medication's not the, I, I, this is not to say that medication is more important than anything else, but when you're looking at medications, when you do get to that point, by far the, uh, the most appropriate frontline medication for insulin resistance and diabetes is metformin. Well, guess what? 
Metformin was uh, discovered by, I think, a French physician. I believe it was like early 1900s. It took almost 90 years for metformin to become a popular use, uh, to be a, a popular drug for diabetes. A hundred years. And so it was back in the 90s that metformin became so popular, 70s, 80s, 90s. So again, a uh, hundred years. Now, more recently, there's been a, an understanding, a new, a change in paradigms in medicine, and it has to do with the treatment of ulcers. Some guys discovered that some antibiotics were appropriate treatments for ulcers. Nobody had ever thought that. They always thought it was an imbalance of acid. Uh, when they discovered it, it took 25 years for it to become standard treatment. And this is in the age, in the information age. This has been over the past three decades. So why does it take so long? We can press a button and get information. For example, the information that we're talking about today on this video is going all over the world in a couple of seconds time. So why does it still take years for medicine, for doctors, for things to change, for the medical community to learn things? Well, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. What has to happen is the experts have to review new types of treatments, studies have to be done, the studies have to be reviewed, and the experts have to agree. Yep, that's, um, that's real. One of the problems with experts, though, is if it wasn't done in their backyard, if it wasn't done by their research team, it's harder to accept that it's real and it, it's, that it's important. So now having understood why it's so difficult for uh, information to become accepted within the medical community, um, we'll talk a little bit about statins and cardiovascular inflammation. You see a couple of guys, Paul Ridker and Gavin Blake, uh, very smart guys at Harvard, really began to first publish about this a little over 20 years ago. And guess what? Just over the past year, I've begun to uh, meet doctors that are in primary care, active primary care practices that will say, yep, statins are really for cardiovascular inflammation. I actually met one this week. So things are changing, but they're changing slowly. Now, one of the more popular uh, requests for information that I get, because people take this information to their doctors, is, Brewer, can you show us, where's some of the science about, about this statins and cardiovascular inflammation thing? So uh, Dr. Jesus uh, and, uh, and I talked a little bit about it. Uh, we did a little bit of research. Uh, Dr. Jesus went through some of the literature, and he brought up some um, some of the studies that we're going to cover today that talks about how statins and cardiovascular inflammation is actually beginning to make a tiny entry into front page news. So that's what we're going to cover today. Uh, before we get there, previous uh, topics, do statins decrease inflammation? We covered that recently. So we're doing a, a brief series on statins and cardiovascular inflammation. Artificial sweeteners. Do they cause insulin resistance? Very emotionally 
charged topic for the prevention community. Um, vascular function tests, and again, just tons of other content. We've got about a thousand videos out there, um, which help you understand what your doctor usually doesn't understand, and that is prevention. Um, docs are usually in the business to, to cure things that are happening, not to prevent them in the first place. So there's a lot for the medical community to learn. And again, we'll be talking about one of those uh, soon. In terms of, of accessing our information, uh, there are several different ways to do this. Uh, again, it's life-saving information. It's information that the evidence is really clear. About two-thirds of docs don't, don't know how to diagnose uh, insulin resistance effectively, let alone manage it. So that's the purpose of this channel, more than anything else. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, to help people understand what their doctors probably don't know. And, unfortunately, the thing that's more likely to cause them death and disability than anything else at this point in time. So we're a prevention channel. We focus on, by far, the biggest issue, and that is undiagnosed prediabetes and diabetes. So uh, we've got the Got Sugar webinar. Uh, Michelle put it on... Um, uh, on a special for the rest of January, I think, yes, through January 31st. It's uh, $392 for the full, um, usually the full price is $490. And what you do here is you actually get the labs, uh, and we go through those labs um, on a webinar and help you interpret them. Again, something your doc's not likely to be able to do. Once you have that information and you know you're cardiovascular, uh, your glucose metabolism uh, details, then you've got a whole different way to approach your health. Don't want to get all those tests, don't want to pay that much. Here's an easy way to do it and very inexpensive. Sometimes we give these things away for free. So keep your eyes open for free access to our courses. Um, the courses are on our core curriculum. Uh, heart attack and stroke prevention, that's a big one that goes through everything. Uh, the other three courses, how to evaluate plaque, insulin resistance, what it is, how to diagnose it, and cardiovascular inflammation, those are all on the order of 25 to 40 bucks. And in a couple of hours, again, you can know more about how to uh, measure your risk, detect it, and manage it um, better than uh, most docs. I'm down here in Alabama still. Um, we had some, we made some changes in terms of our schedule, and um, this was supposed to be a uh, a Lexington week, but again, a lot of stuff going on here in Lower Alabama. We're actually starting because of the growth, the popularity. We're actually starting some uh, programs in Northern Alabama as well. So it's no longer LA. It's uh, Alabama as a state. And um, we've gone from, we started with one part-time clinic in less than a year. We're up to six clinics, 12 providers. Uh, seven of those are doctors. Five of those are uh, NPs. And we've got three others that are, um, we're meeting with this week, negotiating uh, final details to bring them on board. This has been a very successful, very um, popular program. 
and we are saving lives. Our very first patient came to us and said, you know, you've spent a lot of time with me. I understand and appreciate that greatly. You've asked me a couple of times, do I have diabetes? I'm telling you no. I've seen six doctor visits this past year with four different doctors. They looked for diabetes and prediabetes. I don't have it. I don't have that risk. It's fat, but I will take your blood, um, your blood tests. I'll humor you. Well, the blood test came back about 24 hours later, and his fasting glucose was 196. So full-blown diabetes, totally undiagnosed. Uh, as a result, that patient got serious about his diet and has lost over, tw uh, over 25 pounds at this point. And this was just a few months ago. So again, uh, saving a lot of lives, very, very exciting work. Um, I have, it, it's clear as we continue to go through the book and as uh, folks continue to give us feedback, we didn't give the book enough credit. Um, I thought it was going to be a little bit nerdly, sort of like the, uh, the rest of our content on the channel. But uh, folks have given us great reviews on that. It's been a very popular book. It's got a couple of um, bestseller uh, awards and it's available on Amazon. So get it. This book specifically doesn't get too deep into cardiovascular risk. There's a section on cardiovascular risk. It doesn't get too deep on um, insulin resistance and prediabetes. Obviously, you cannot write a book about prevention and not cover those topics. But I was saving those topics for the next book. After I'd um, learned a little bit more about how to write a book and, and get it out there. This book is focused on the myth of the stress test. Hey, doc. I mean, it, and it starts with that very popular story, very sad story. A globally known uh, and appreciated and loved um, journalist, t television journalist, went to his doc and said, hey, doc, I'm having some blood pressure problems. I'm gaining a little bit of weight. I'm worried about my heart attack and stroke risk. Can we just get a stress test? Got the stress test, passed it with flying colors. He was a runner. He ran regularly. But that didn't mean that he didn't have inflammation. It didn't mean that he didn't have plaque. And he had both of those. And you guessed it, he died just a few months later of sudden cardiac death at his work. And most of you probably already guessed it too. We're talking about Big Russ, Tim Russer. He is not alone in terms of passing a, a stress test with flying colors and then having a heart attack and dying. There's a whole, we've got several videos on other well-known people that have had the same experience. So don't find out that you've got cardiovascular risk inflammation by passing out and dying from sudden cardiac death. So if I've heard it once, I've heard it at least a hundred times, maybe several hundred times. Hey doc, you know, I sent some of your information to my doctor and he or she said, oh, wait a minute. That stuff about cardiovascular inflammation, that's really academic, that's not important. And statins are really not for cardiovascular inflammation. They are for LDL, cholesterol. That's what they're for. That's what the standards committees have said. And 
have him just have him show us a few articles. Okay. So again, Hesos did a lot of background work for us. And today we're going to go through just a few of the articles. Believe it or not, the impact of statins on cardiovascular inflammation is starting to take some tiny steps into the mainstreams of medicine. Here's, the, here's one of the first ones. Uh, Department of Cardiovascular Medicine, University of Oxford. In current pharmaceutical designs. That was back in 2012. Again, this has been building. Statins as anti-inflammatory agents in atherogenesis. That's a big technical word. Athero meaning uh, plaque. Genesis meaning creation of plaque. So creation, um, anti-inflammatory agents in creation of plaque. The molecular mechanisms and lessons from recent clinical trials. So a couple of points that they made in here. Plaque generation is an inflammatory process. Uh, yes, we've been saying that. 3-hydroxy-3-methylglutaryl coenzyme A, HMG-CoA. What? Uh, gosh, really big word, but it's, it's the enzyme that these things impact. It's the HMG-CoA uh, HMG reductase inhibitors. Uh, that's what statins are. They impact that specific enzyme. But they do some other things too. But that enzyme is what has gotten the medical community originally focused on it because it had an impact of decreasing LDL. Anyhow, statins have been used for primary and secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease for a long time. This was even as of 2012. And remember, primary prevention is there are no signs or symptoms yet. Secondary prevention is there are clear signs or symptoms. And that's, uh, if you want to get a little bit more understanding about primary versus secondary prevention in cardiovascular disease, that's a very important topic. Um, <clears throat> for example, it's an important topic with baby aspirin. Recently they said, no, we don't recommend baby aspirin for primary prevention. Um, I never did. Many of us never did. The Baal-Donin community didn't. Uh, that's actually where I first heard of that. But here's the difference between primary and secondary prevention. Um, if you get a CIMT and you have plaque, you now have a clear sign of cardiovascular disease. So don't say, okay, I'm 65. I haven't had a heart attack yet. They don't recommend baby aspirin for um, primary prevention anymore. If you have plaque, and most 65-year-olds do, they do recommend it as well as we do. So again, this item of primary and secondary prevention sounds very simple, but once you start digging underneath, it has a big impact, a very practical impact. And it's a little bit more confusing because even most doctors don't understand the difference between primary and secondary prevention especially for cardiovascular disease. They approach it with an assumption that uh, we can't tell if somebody's got plaque. We just need to assume. Hmm. Big assumption and not a good one. So anyhow, I'll get back to the script here. Evidence supports another big word, pleiotropic effects. You remember, um, for those of you who don't remember that word, you may have a little bit of background or you may have heard of the Pleiades. That's a constellation. It's the seven sisters or many sisters. That's what pleo means, many, and tropic. So 
What pleiotropic effects means is effects on something that weren't really planned the first time, something that we didn't know about. That's exactly what's going on with statins and cardiovascular inflammation. When statins were originally developed, it was thought, okay, it's all about LDL, the quote, bad cholesterol. And what we're talking about today is the slow but methodical and irreversible this pleiotropic mechanism of statins, its impact on cardiovascular inflammation may really be and according to this article, again, back in uh, 2012, statins reduce circulating C-reactive protein. You remember that one? And uh, pro-inflammatory cytokine levels. Again, just the whole, uh, the, the whole biochemical mechanism for inflammation. They also induce favorable effects on vascular redox. Redox is another uh, technical term. It's a, it's a mashup of reduction oxidation. Remember, oxidation is a big, it is probably the biggest uh, underlying mechanism for inflammation. So it impacts the redox state, the uh, uh, reduction oxidation state, and uh, improves vascular reactive oxygen species. So let's go to the next study that Jesus pulled up for us. This was an important study, the Prince study. Uh, <clears throat> this one came from investigators in Boston, Massachusetts. Guess where that was? It's an important study that addressed anti-inflammatory effect, uh, again, called the Prince Trials Pravastatin Inflammation CRP Evaluation. It demonstrated that 40 milligrams of pravastatin given orally for 24 weeks reduced C-reactive protein levels in subjects without cardiovascular disease, independently of the LDL cholesterol. <coughs> so again, let me repeat. What they saw is what Paul Ridker and Gavin Blake and many others began to see. It really didn't matter whether uh, LDL was involved or not. What was, in, what was being impacted was inflammation. Now, statins and, and nitric oxide. Nitric oxide, or NO, <clears throat> is critical to maintain endothelial homeostasis, um, balance of the metabolic processes in the endothelium, the lining of the artery wall. So, again, Jesus, when you see this, we'll probably have to uh, simplify the wording a little bit, but endothelial homeostasis means the, uh, the balance of the metabolic processes of the all-important lining of the artery wall. Statins favorably increase nitric oxide bioavailability. They increase gene expression for this activity. Uh, they promote endothelial healing, and they inhibit isoprenoids, which are a problem in that space. So, um, I'm sure those of you who are like biochemical geeks have been looking at these um, uh, nitric oxide development pathways <laughs> over on the right. And as you can see, there's a lot of components to it, just like there isn't any significant bio, uh, biochemical metabolic process. Resuvastatin, our old friend, Crestor. Resuvastatin increases circulating endothelial or lining progenitor cells. That's the cells that help develop 
the lining of the artery wall. That's where all the action is. That's where inflammation, cardiovascular inflammation, is a big, big deal. Cardiovascular inflammation um, drives injury to that all-important endothelial lining. It's called the intima. And by far, the number one and two big causes of that are too much insulin in the blood for too long and too much glucose in the blood for too long. There are also some other inflammatory disease uh, drivers as well, like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, psoriatic arthritis. Again, I'm going down bunny holes. Thank you for your patience. St uh, again, back to this article. Statins also inhibit endothelial cell acti uh, activation, which is the first step in atherogenesis. In other words, uh, damage to that endothelial cells. You remember a couple of years ago, we covered a, a, an article that came out of the University of Texas. People that, that look at this space had always thought that there were actually holes in that endothelial lining of the artery wall. What the researchers at University of Texas showed that is, it's not holes in that lining. It's what they called transcytosis. In other words, uh, the cell got uh, injured through inflammation and then LDL, oxidized LDL, small dense LDL. Those particles actually were able to penetrate through the lining cells of those artery walls. Now, here's another article from Neurology. <clears throat> Again, uh, the neurologists have a big stake in this area. It's called strokes. <clears throat> As you can see, I still have a little bit of that <clears throat> upper respiratory uh, hoarseness that started about a month and a half ago now. Um, we actually had to cancel one of our YouTube lives because I was just squeaking at that point. So. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for your patience with me as I cough and clear my throat. Neurology, the, neuro the neurologists, again, major focus on ischemic stroke. Ischemic means loss of blood supply, too. There are two, two types of stroke. Um, the, the first one is a clot or ischemic stroke, loss of blood supply. The second one is uh, bleeding into an area. And um, by far the most common is ischemic stroke. It is, it's also classified as part of cardiovascular disease because it's the very same mechanism. If you have this cardiovascular inflammation um, and that clot breaks off, that clot is formed by um, uh, inflamed, hot, liquid plaque seeping back through that uh, injured uh, endothelial or, or uh, intimal cell into the, blowing, into the flowing bloodstream, it forms a clot. And if that clot breaks off and goes to the heart, it's a heart attack. If it breaks off and goes to the brain, it's a stroke. So again, very, very same causes. The instrument, so back to the, this article. And again, this was another article all the way back to 2012. The experimental evidence in mice suggested an association with suppression of endothelial nitric oxide production, similar to the topic we were talking about just in the last slide. In hypercholesterolemic patients, atorvastatin withdrawal rapidly increased pro-inflammatory and pro-thrombotic pathways. 
I'll just make the comment. I don't use um, atorvastatin. It's, it was the first one out of the blocks. It was it had the biggest advertisements. It uh, got the medical community hooked and it's been by far the biggest, I think the biggest drug ever. Um, if you look at the information that we're talking about and dig deeper into uh, the impact of atorvastatin or Lipitor on cardiovascular inflammation, yes, it does have some, but it's not nearly as good as pravastatin, simvastatin, and um, rosuvastatin, and even now patavastatin. All of those statins, except patavastatin, push you a little bit down this uh, diabetes highway. So you say, why would you take something that causes uh, the problem? Because uh, it's a benefits risk issue. I don't recommend statins for people that don't have plaque. Again, I'm going down a bunny hole and probably complicating things. Let me come back out and get back to the, to the text. So this is the neurology article from 2012. Symphostatin withdrawal during acute myocardial infarction was associated with C-reactive pro increased C-reactive protein levels. Pro-inflammatory effects, um, according to this article and a couple of others that uh, Jesus pulled up, they're beginning to see pro-inflammatory pro effects might induce plaque instability, yes, and subsequent adverse events. So again, you've been hearing it from me, from me for years, and it's just, it's not something that we're just an opinion. This is information that's been researched and demonstrated, and the medical community is beginning to adopt it. Another study in stroke <clears throat> found that stopping statins for three days was associated with increased risk of death or disability dependency. So the conclusions from, the, uh, from these studies is very interesting. We'll get to the last one and I'll go, oh, really? The anti-inflammatory effects of statins on the vascular wall are now widely accepted. Well, how widely? Uh, I can tell you. I mean, if you look at the comments on our channel, there's still a whole lot of doctors probably more, still the, the majority, don't understand this piece. But <clears throat> as we said, it's making tiny steps into the mainstream. By inhibiting intracellular isoprenoids uh, and some other actual um, uh, drivers of cardiovascular inflammation, statins suppress vascular and myocardial inflammation. They uh, modulate vascular and myocardial redox states, the reduction oxidation state, the inflammation state, and the improved nitric oxide bioavailability. Now, here's that last one where I'm going. I roll my eyes. Uh, and it's true. The vast majority of articles that uh, even still deal with this at this point, the extent to which the beneficial effects of statins on clinical outcome of uh, lipid lowering uh, independently remains unclear. In other words, they're still trying to figure out, is it LDL and the impact on LDL or is it impact on uh, inflammation? So got a lot of folks here today. <clears throat> Life extension research. Doc, quick question. I know there are a few studies regarding plaque where it seems that a possible correlation with mouth bacteria is quite possible. What's that about? Well, yes. Clearly, there have been studies, you know, we talk about, we, we badmouth stents all the time, and we shouldn't, 
sometimes I forget to clarify. 10% of stents are life-saving. Life-saving stents. So despite all the bad-mouthing you hear, the criticism, uh, 10% of them, I would clearly have a stent. If I were to have a heart attack and uh, it was something that could be helped with a stent, I would do it. And the reason I'm getting into that point is that some of the stent studies after, well, let me just clarify before we go further. The problem is 90% of stents are actually placed there to, quote, prevent a heart attack, despite the fact that orbiter trials, courage trials, multiple other trials, uh, ischemia trials, all have shown that they don't prevent heart attacks. Now, let's, let me go into why I brought that up, though. There have been studies done where they pulled the clot out uh, that was causing a heart attack. They looked at it and cultured it, and they found the very same bacteria that was in the patient's gums from gingivitis. Now, really? So <clears throat> here's the thing. Uh, the association between gingivitis and heart attack has been known for a long time. And uh, my friends, Brad Bale, Amy Dunneen, um, Dave Vigorous all actually have an article where for the, one of the first times the uh, infection in, in gums was actually linked to cardiovascular inflammation, to um, inflammation in vessels. But I really think that that's uh, not the key point. The key point is this. What's the number one cause of cardiovascular inflammation? undiagnosed prediabetes or diabetes. Guess what the number one cause of gingivitis is? Undiagnosed diabetes and prediabetes. So it's well known that diabetes causes both of these things. What's not so well known is that uh, the diabetes and prediabetes are not well diagnosed. So there's so many cases where they think, well, maybe it's something else causing this. We just need to get better at diagnosing this disease. So, uh, covered that. Great question, Life Extension Research. I hope that helped. Uh, Bart Robinson, let's go here. Bart Robinson, good morning, Doc. I mentioned before, I'm on five milligrams of civistatin for a couple of years now. I've been experiencing terrible burning and stinging in toes and bad, bad numbness in both hands in the middle of the night. I do work out intensely and I'm on my feet a lot. So Bart, you, gave, you brought up a great topic. There's a, a major focus on and a major fear associated with uh, the impact of statins on muscle pains, the uh, perception that it causes, that, that causes intense muscle pains. Now, a lot of researchers would say, once you boil it down, that's not really happening. Mm, that's not true. Uh, it does happen. It does cause that. However, one thing that is true is that uh, there's a ton of muscle pain, cramping, that we just don't find a good diagnosis for. Now, there's a, also because of the fear and the popular association of um, statins with this problem, uh, there's a major concern and confusion with um, placebo effect. So people often have this problem and they feel better when they have placebo. There've been several really good, really elegant studies where they did um, 
where they did um, blinded studies. Uh, they did a, a placebo and they did a statin. And yes, they proved that the vast majority of this association was more of a placebo effect than a true statin effect. But here's the thing. And if you go into the major responsible uh, uh, standards committees who talk about this, they warn, do not ignore statin problems. Statins can cause problems. You know, so now uh, I find myself in a place where I often find myself. I'll go into all of this uh, bunny holes about research. But then the question is, okay, doc, I got all that. So what do I do? Let me, and uh, I don't tell people what to do nearly uh, as much as people would like to be told. But I will tell you what I did. For several years, I had cramps in my calves. Uh, I would wake up in the middle of the night. I remember the first time I ever had it. It felt like I had been shot in the leg. I jumped up out of bed and fell on the floor. And it took, a, it took a while of needing that muscle and stretching it to get it to come back uh, out of that cramp. If you go on YouTube, you can actually see some videos of people that took a video of having a leg cramp. Those things are just, having had one, you look at it and you go, oh, the pain. Now, what mine evolved into, it got to where on my long run, I would take a long, I'd do moderate runs, and then I'd have a long, hard run once a week. I ended that long, hard run with a major hill run. And I began to notice after I finished that hill run, not during it, but after I finished that hill run, ah, gosh, I would get that cramp again. The bottom line is, what did I do? I didn't stop my statin. I didn't change statins. I would, I would just walk through that pain. I was able to, and after <clears throat> about 100 yards or so, <clears throat> I was able to get, <clears throat> sorry, after about 100 yards or so, I was able to get uh, work through that cramp. So <clears throat> uh, what are some, uh, and so I kept the, the, I was taking five of rosuvastatin at the time. That went on for about a year, maybe two years. But again, it was something that I could live through. Uh, stretch the muscle back out and continue to work through it. I didn't stop the statin. There are uh, patients that I've had where we stopped the statin, we, we changed it, we, we tried other statins. There's a lot of different things. But um, as you're beginning to see from um, some of the studies that we're putting out there, if you've got plaque and you need a statin, um, it's not a great idea to just stop the statin for reasons that we've covered. Great topic, thank you so much, Bart, for covering that. I will just say one other thing, Bart. Um, <clears throat> when the information first started coming out, there was a battle between the two big medical journals in England, uh, Lancet and the British Medical Journal. Uh, one of them was clearly pro-statin, the other one was clearly anti-statin. That, uh, that came out, gosh, what was it, 10 years ago? Maybe 15 now. As a result, people began stopping their statins in droves. And there are actually studies which have demonstrated the number of deaths climbing associated with decreased statin use and stopping statins when they needed to happen. So, you know, people say, well, Doc, you, 
be clear. Uh, tell me what to do. I will tell you this. Think twice before you, it, before you have plaque and stop a statin. A lot of people have done it, and it's been documented. A lot of people died. So <clears throat> now a lot of people are on statins and don't need to be on them because docs will typically put people on statins if they have a, they see an LDL over 120, 100, and now even 70. If you don't have plaque, I think you need to think twice about actually taking that statin recommendation. It's vag Vagabond Sojourner. Some have, adjust, have suggested that ApoB is the best marker to, term, to determine and track atherosclerosis, cardiovascular disease. Some sources believe only weight loss and statins can lower one's ApoB. Thoughts? That's a good point. I, one of my patients, very, very well-informed patient, sent me a, uh, a video. It was a Peter Atia video by uh, one of his cardiologist friends, and he focused his whole video on ApoB. I went through that. I expected to see something really new from it, and the reality was I didn't. You know, he, he ended up getting into... Uh, the basics around um, statins, uh, the basics around um, LDL and HDL, mostly LDL, the fractionation components of LDL. And again, I wish that what he showed had greatly simplified the issue, but there were too many exceptions at the end of the day. And, you know, it gets to that thing about I think the quote came out of uh, that popular movie, The Notebook. I may even have the title wrong, but I think it was a scene in that movie where they said, it's not that simple. It's complicated. I'm sorry. I wish it were. David Mites. Oh, my Lord, David. <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for telling me you're there. Uh, if I had known something, I'd have... I'd have probably said uh, something sarcastic about you. Thank you so much for joining us. And David and I are uh, both living in the South now. And in the South, one of the ways you show uh, love and friendship is you make sarcastic comments. Thank you so much, Dave, for, uh, for attending. Margaret D., good morning. Good morning, Margaret. Thank you for joining. Cavalry Assembly of God, Southington, Connecticut. I have a coronary calcium score of 3,300. Can anyone top that? Oh, yes. Uh, yesterday, or the day before, I think it was the day before. Yes, it was Monday. I had a patient that, that came, he actually came in through uh, one of the webinars, and um, he said, I, I just got a calcium score, and it was over 4,000. And guess what, Calvary, Calvary Assembly? He's not my only uh, friend, patient, uh, 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 person that watches, I guess, I guess you would say, um, with over 4,000. There are a lot of people with over 4,000. Now, quite often they come to see me and they're scared to death. Um, this, this person was concerned for sure. But as we started looking, he had a very, very classic uh, story. He'd had some, uh, a few years ago, he and his BMI had got a little bit higher. And over the past 
couple of years. He went on a keto diet. He dropped his carbs, went on keto, dropped 20 something pounds. And this was not a big fella. This was somebody who was in, in his uh, one, in one fifties uh, in terms of weight prior to, um, to this weight drop. He was not tall, five, I think five, three. And sure enough, uh, big calcium score at the end of that. And I'll see this happen a lot. People will come to me and they'll have problems. They'll have, um, they'll have way too much body fat. They'll say, I just had a really high calcium score. I had a calcium score over 1,000, over 2,000, over 3,000, over 4,000. And then they come to me. That motivates them. They drop their carbs. They start losing weight. They lose 20, 30 pounds. And they say, I'm going to do a victory lap. I'm going to go to get another calcium score and show that all that calcium has gone away. I warn them time and time again, please reconsider that. Don't do that. At least don't expect the calcium to go away because guess what? My good friend David Mites, who's watching, can tell you, once you go from soft plaque to hardened, stable plaque, you calcify it. So um, uh, be very careful about assuming uh, that an increase in plaque is a bad thing. Increasing plaque shows that you're stabilizing soft plaque that was there. That is a recurring problem. And again, Calvary, you're not the, the high calcium score winner at all, anywhere near it. Uh, Rahul Sharma, dear doctor, I was told by my doc five months ago that I might have some blockage due to slight ST depression, but not that serious. But after following your videos and currently getting my CTA, one half, let's see if, well, uh, we lost the rest of that. Hopefully it'll pop back up in a minute. Getting a lot of comments, a lot of folks tuned in. Now we're starting to get one of those. We've gotten a couple of great uh, contributions, by the way, but I'm beginning to wonder if I'm gonna be able to cover all the comments and questions today. A lot of participation. Aura Ruth Kamiani. Hey, Doc, greetings from my side of the world. I think that would be the Middle East. Thank you so much, Aura Ruth, for uh, joining. And thank you so much for commenting. Oh, so Rahul, back to Rahul. 2-2, my blockage and calcium score is zero and undetectable. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Rahul, you bring up a good point. I'm not going to cover it today. But we found an article that talked about there's this position and there's this... Um, there have been a few articles out there that said, well, if your calcium score is zero, you're fine. You don't even need statin. We know that because you're, you're good. You don't have plaque. If you had any plaque, you'd have a, a one or more calcium score. Here's the problem with that. Logically, many of us have asked the question, and I've been asked that question multiple times. Well, what if you're starting with plaque and you've only got soft plaque? You don't have any plaque that's gone through this whole process of getting inflamed, forming the plaque, getting soft plaque, and then, excuse me, getting, um, uh, forming calcification as you stabilize it. Well, that is no longer a theoretical concern. I always said, yeah, theoretically, it sounds like a concern, but I've never seen data. There's data out there now. And uh, Jesus, Dr. Jesus is, uh, is developing the slides on it. We saw some of that come through just a few weeks ago. So we're going to be presenting an article in a couple of weeks which demonstrates that 
you, you're not uh, totally safe, even if you have a zero calcium score, you probably should go get a CIMT. So that's a big advertisement for the CIMT guys, for sure. Cavalry, uh, two over two, my, I'm not sure. Oh, Cavalry, you're asking a question. Rahul was finishing his comment, his question before. Vagabond Sojourner, 10 bucks contribution. Thank you, Vagabond, so much. We appreciate it. What's the weather like in Mobile today? It was rainy yesterday and really cold, but it's warming up. I think it's in the 50s today. Very, very nice and just bright and sunny. I, in fact, I had to... Uh, move things around. Uh, last time we got way too much sun coming through. It looks sort of like a one of those biblical uh, sunshine things. Rahul Sharma, blockage in my coronary arteries. Um, I, we covered that a minute ago, Rahul. A, a zero calcium score does not, it, for the most part, it means that you're in pretty good shape, but does it mean that there is no blockage, no soft plaque? It does not mean that. We will be covering that in an article, in an article, a presentation over the next um, the next few weeks. Uh, Jonathan Hull, good morning, Dr. Brewer. Is niacin sometimes used as the only treatment for high cholesterol? My LDL went from 125 to 75, and LP little A from 225 to 103, with 1.5 grams per day of endurance. Uh, <clears throat> Jonathan Hull, yes, thank you for bringing it up. Uh, the only thing that we know of that tends to do all these things, decrease triglycerides, increase HDL, decrease LDL, um, decrease LP little a, is niacin. We've known that for years, uh, and we used to use it a lot, and then it gets really complicated. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna go into the AIM high trial of the HBS2 Thrive, other than to say, if you have, if you've heard debate about whether or not niacin actually works, just look up some of our videos. I've got a series of about, uh, gosh, a dozen videos on it. <laughs> the bottom line is, yes, it works. Great, great question. Thank you for bringing it up. Mezzanine. I also have numbness in the fingers and toes on only five milligrams rosuvastatin three times a week. Four years ago, went off statins because it became unbearable and improved afterwards. Coming like uh, coming like back, even at the low dose. Um, there's a couple of things that you could consider mezzanine, uh, <laughs> especially if you've actually gone off of it, saw an improvement and went back on it and saw problems. Uh, you could go to a lower dose, cut those in half. Um, you could also, uh, go into, um, uh, try something like patavastatin, one of the kinder, gentler, different type of um, of statins. Again, I can't give you specific advice on what you should do um, unless you're a patient. And if you want to become a patient, you can call Michelle. Uh, <laughs> if you could show Michelle's telephone number, it's 859-721-1414. That's 859-721-1414. I'll just let you know the with the increasing activities at the um, down here at the mobile uh, programs, uh, we've got far less uh, slots for me to see po folks uh, personally, but we're working on bringing up on some docs like um, uh, uh, David Wright, some of the other docs that know this space very well to, uh, to help me in this practice. Uh, 
So let's go to the next one. Jonathan Hull, 999. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Again, uh, folks, for uh, you're seeing a few of these super chats, and you'll see a, a, a much bigger one a little bit later. But even these these five and ten dollar ones, these like you know, a couple of cups of coffee at Starbucks, make a huge difference for this channel. So what happens is I I support as you see you've got you've got um, really good co-hosts like Gilbert uh, Aspen does it some. Um, it takes a lot of work and effort to do that appropriately. You've got to be very vigilant and you've got to be listening. Uh, I jump around in a lot of places and they're still listening. As you saw, he did, he showed how to do the super chat. He showed how to do, um, uh, show as, uh, uh, Michelle's telephone number. Thank you very much, Gilbert, for what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> that's hard and it comes at a price, but it, it's, uh, helpful to people that are watching the videos. Um, Gilbert is in the Philippines. So 10 bucks makes a big difference. It helps uh, pay for Gilbert's uh, salary for the day. Um, so thank you so much. What you're doing when you do these super chats is, uh, or uh, we have some other things too, some other ways to donate. Uh, and again, I think you'll see some of those as Gilbert flashes them up on the screen. What you're doing when you uh, donate to this channel is you're getting life-saving information out to the rest of the world. And it's not just to the U.S. Uh, about 48% of our viewership is in the U.S. now. Um, over half of it is now in the rest of the world. And you, you think, well, it's probably not in some of these uh, Eastern Asian countries. Think again, our number five now uh, country for uh, downloads uh, for the podcasts is China. Leo Acapulco, my cholesterol numbers improved taking niacin 500 milligrams, but my ALT also went up 36. I've been taking simvastatin 20 milligrams. What do you do about niacin? Stop, lower dose. You bring up a really good point. And we actually had a commenter come on one time and talk about how his, I think it was his brother, died from liver impact of niacin. Uh, there can be liver impact of statins, liver impact of niacin, and putting them together. Um, so it's just like anything else. You say, well, well, niacin's a supplement. That means it's totally safe, right? Mm, no, deaths have occurred from uh, niacin usage, just like deaths have occurred from vitamin D usage. Are you gonna say, well, I'm never gonna take niacin or vitamin D? Uh, Gosh, I hope you've been awake during the, um, the pandemic. Even in all of the big standard purveyors of medical advice, like Harvard, Mayo, have had folks come out talking about it is very dangerous to be a human on Earth in, the, uh, in this pandemic <clears throat> and have a low vitamin D level. But we've done videos on showing how People, once they get significantly above 100 on their vitamin D level, can die from the negative impact on the kidney. So, you know, don't take something if you don't need it. But if you need it, <clears throat> weigh the risks. I think this might be a good time to say we talked a lot about uh, prescription medications today with statins. We've got a lot of questions coming up about niacin. The bottom line is neither one of these are as important 
as lifestyle. And the most important component of lifestyle is diet. So you can't out-supplement, you can't out-prescribe a lifestyle problem. <clears throat> Fort Worth, West Side. Good morning, Fort. <coughs> Excuse me. As I talk, I talk a lot on these, and when I do, I start getting a little irritation there. Good morning, Fort. I see an ad for breathing device with Janice Derrickson. Derrickson. Is she your wife? Janice Derrickson, Dr. Derrickson, is my wife. She's got more doctorates than me. She's smarter than me. She's uh, very passionate about teaching. And uh, yes, uh, she has a, a uh, related channel. Uh, she focuses, <coughs> excuse me, one of her ma major passions right now, and you see the logo for her channel, is uh, helping people um, develop um, good health and good uh, mental health, decreasing stress. She's a big Tai Chi fan, and she's got a lot of credentials in terms of teaching Tai Chi. So I don't know that, I think the breathing device is not something related to Janice, it's respirate. Um, believe it or not, how you breathe impacts your health in a very, very big way. If you have questions about that, uh, just do a YouTube search on Ford Brewer Respirate, e -R -R, excuse me, R-E-S-P-E-R-A-T-E. -E. Sorry, I'm a geek. I'll have to go there in terms of some of the, uh, the details. So what has been demonstrated is if you can slow down your breathing rate, we're talking about not slow it a little bit. We're talking about slowing it to like 10 or less. You've heard this when you've, you've read about meditation and things. Slow your breaths down. Uh, this is real. And that device that we talked about, Respirate, actually has official formal recommendations from the FDA, a very conservative group, and a couple of other conservative groups, the American Heart Association being one of them. And what they have shown is the, there's been clear research in this area, clinical trials, and that device, the Respirate device, um, helps people accomplish very quickly what takes many years for some people to accomplish through um, mindfulness and meditation, slowing the breath down. Two things. Number one, slowing that rate down to about 10 per minute as opposed to the usual 18. And number two, slowing the expiratory phase. What that does, now that sounds crazy, right? Well, there's actual mechanisms behind that and it has to do with a thing called the vagus nerve, not V-E-G-A-S, V-A-G-U-S. It's a nerve that helps the body slow down and heal as opposed to being in fight or flight. So you can actually uh, <clears throat> help pull yourself out of fight or flight mode, high stress mode, very simply, by slowing that breath rate down to about 10 per minute <clears throat> or less and accentuate, slow that uh, expiratory phase down dramatically. So I hope that helped. At Asma Benalj, I hope I didn't mess up that term. You are a lifesaver, Doc. Thank you so much, Asma. Thank you for your educational videos. Thank you for the, the comment, Asma. I appreciate it. Aura Ruth, 
Uh, is it the camera angle or have you put on weight? Oh, gosh, Aura. Uh, uh, some of it's the camera angle. I've been doing a lot of, um, of weightlifting, though. Uh, more, I started about a year ago. So I have increased my weight. Um, most of it's muscle, but there's a little bit more fat in there, too. I'm up to uh, a little bit over 160. I'm at, my BMI is um, 23, and it usually varies between 20 and 23. Um, thanks for pointing that out. You're going to motivate me to continue to uh, get to that, <laughs> get back to that healthy weight. Um, <laughs> Aspen, I think Gilbert put that up. Uh, places where you can get more content. Bart. Messing, yes, you're having the same. <laughs> Excuse me, I may have to, I may not be able to go much further as I'm continuing to talk a little bit too much. Uh, some back and forth on that. Fort Worth Westside, I've been taking CoQ10. You think its production is hampered even by five milligrams of Crestor? <clears throat> I do recommend uh, 200 milligrams of CoQ10. I don't think it's, uh, ubiquinol is, as the advertisements say, more bioavailable. But I don't use ubiquinol. I don't think it's worth it. When you actually go deeper into the science, you just in, increase your dosage of CoQ10. It's far more uh, cost-effective and still effective uh, for, that, um, for that supplementation than going with the higher-cost ubiquinol. And I do recommend it anytime people take statins. I've got a couple of videos on it. <clears throat> it's difficult to show exactly uh, the impact. And I go into the reasons why on those videos. Samola high dairy, is that for all kinds of statins? I'm not sure what is what. Don't, don't understand what that is, uh, Samaha. Tired looking for, for name. Tired, thank you so much. And we talked one time, Tired showed um, told us how he got that moniker for YouTube, and it's exactly what you might guess. He was having troubles looking for a name. All of us go there, or many of us have gone there. As always, thank you very much, Dr. Brewer and the entire PrevMed team. And as always, thank you so much, Tired, for that contribution. As we said before, it makes a big difference. I, I support the channel with seeing patients um, and my, uh, my uh, retirement savings. So, any help in that space is greatly appreciated. Good question, Mezzanine. Well, let me go back and make sure that we covered that question. I'm having the same issue, not sure what path to take. I'll continue and monitor the progression, but wonder about long-term nerve damage. Uh, if they, I will say this. Um, I haven't dug deeply into that part of the science recently. But I, I will say this, I'm totally unaware of any significant nerve damage, long-term nerve damage as a, a result of statin use. So hopefully that dealt with the other part of the question, Bart and Mezzanine. Bart, I take one milligram, 100 milligrams three times a day of CoQ10, Doctor's Best. It's a good bargain, a reputable company. And I think that's a great uh, recommendation, Bart. I do recommend at least 200 milligrams of CoQ10 especially if somebody's taking a statin. Starfish, 21. I'm considering Repatha because I don't tolerate statins very well. What are your thoughts? Well, here's the thing. 
we have we the this research the science has definitely shown that Repatha has a huge impact on LDL. The impact on cardiovascular inflammation and the long-term impact on um, on um, uh, actual health impact is not quite so clear yet. But I'm using a lot of uh, Repatha as well, especially for for folks with. Um, FH, familial hypercholesterolemia. We've done a couple of videos interviewing some of those folks. Um, Neil B, if inflammation is driven by insulin resistance, why is Rasuba favored, which I think still heads you down that path? Well, <clears throat> all of them head you down that path. Rasubostatin at five milligrams per day or less, those low doses really have not demonstrated signif any significant push down that path. So I don't don't use and don't really recommend use of high dose statins, especially high dose resuvastatin, ten milligrams, twenty, which is which are very commonly used dosages. So that was a great question. Thank you. It's uh, a good pickup. Uh, thinking very well. Thank you, B. Uh, Neil B. Mezzanine also taking two to three hundred of CoQ10. Thank you, Fort Worth. Where's CR? Which CRP were those articles referring to? That's a good question. I don't know whether it was uh, HS or regular CRP. <clears throat> you tended to see regular CRP up until about a decade ago, and then there was recognition that high-sensitivity CRP was a better one to look at. Won't get any further down that bunny trail. Grandpa, what's... Oh, Grandpa's the name. What statin do you recommend? I usually use one of two statins, low-dose resuvastatin or Crestor, five milligrams or less. And one of the advantages of uh, low-dose Crestor, as we just mentioned, it doesn't drive uh, insulin resistance. And guess what? It's been demonstrated you can go to doses as low as uh, two and a half milligrams once a week and still have some impact. So... Um, I don't recommend immediately going to that. Uh, I recommend starting from like five milligrams per day for most folks, unless you're really small. Uh, and then we can titrate it down lower. <clears throat> so that was grandpa. LPG one, two, three. I mentioned before that we had a, another really big um, contribution. Thank you so much, LPG. One, two, three, three, eight. A hundred dollar um, uh, super chat donation. Again, this makes huge, um, huge impact on us and our ability to get this information out uh, to help save lives throughout the world. And if if you're looking for evidence, just read through the comments uh, on a regular basis. Somebody saying, "Hey, Doc, you saved my life." So. That's enough to keep me going for sure. And thank you for your contributions. So LPG says, great information as always. I have a webinar on February 7th with you. Can't wait. I can't wait too. I'm looking forward to meeting you, LPG. Bart Robinson, he recommends uh, Resuvastatin but, uh, and Lavallo, but Lavallo is pricey. Oh, thank you, Bart. I think I sort of got halfway into that, uh, the answer to that and, um, headed off in a different direction. Two different statins routinely, um, low-dose resuvastatin or Lavalo. And Lavalo or Patavastatin are both, uh, uh, they're the same thing. 
and they are low dose uh, anyway. Um, as you saw in there, I've used pravastatin a good bit, simvastatin, uh, both of those are really good. I only rarely use um, but, uh, atorvastatin or Lipitor for the reasons that I discussed earlier. If you start getting into some of this information, this science about statins and inflammation, um, Lipitor is not as, it's great with, manage, it manages LDL just as well as any of them, but it doesn't seem to manage the inflammation side as well as these other statins, any of the other statins. Um, if you're female or if you have prediabetes, you know, if you're female, that knocks out half the population. If you have prediabetes, that knocks out 80% of the population. So <clears throat> I really do not recommend using the most popular statin, Lipitor. And I'm sure my, our uh, numbers will get, our uh, ads will get blocked on that because we're talking about uh, specific products. Grandpa, thanks, Bart. And thank you, Grandpa, and thank you, Bart, as well. <coughs> Let me see here. Oh, gosh, I am. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to the end, but we'll make it as far as we can. Vagabond, Bart, try using a foam roller uh, and your percussion massage gun. Painful at first, but does have positive impact on muscles and nervous system. Bart, thank you very much for addressing my question, Doc. Thank you, Bart, for asking it. Uh, yes, my brother has one of those massage guns. I'll give it a try. Thank you. Or Ruth, I cannot get a statin script because my cholesterol profiles are too good. Please do not diss red yeast rice. It is all I can take. And, those, and it does reduce arterial inflammation. <clears throat> well... Um, I wouldn't diss it, uh, Aura Ruth. And again, Aura Ruth is a very, very smart, uh, very well-informed uh, health professional. Uh, she knows this space very well. And the only thing I would say, I think, Aura Ruth, you've probably heard me say, uh, I would prefer to take a, an actual statin um, simply because their quality controls tend to be a little bit better for the uh, prescription level drugs. And the other thing, you know, to your point about it's real, uh, guess what the original statins were developed from? Or Ruth, I know you know, but, and a lot of people on this, uh, in this, viewing this already know too. The original statins were uh, red, uh, red, red yeast rice. Uh, Big Pharma does what they usually do. They did what they usually do. They find something that appears to work, that's more in a supplement format that you find in nature. And then they try to do stuff to make it uh, a little bit different. And then they, try, then they turn it into a prescription. Then they get a, a, uh, a, an FDA or other approval to be a prescription drug. And that's when they get, uh, that's how they make their money. Again, the original uh, statins were developed directly from red yeast rice. So it works. There's no question. <clears throat> no trash in heaven. Just got here. Only have time to give an algorithm boosting thumbs up. Thank you, no trash. Uh, thank you. I'll return. And this will be posted. You'll be able to get uh, this whole video on YouTube later. And we, as we usually do, we'll take snippets that are uh, that Jesus and I think really are helpful for, for others. 
and put them in shorts, short formats. But yes, if you'll go ahead and hit, we've only got one thumbs up. We've got, what, over 100 people watching, but only one of you has actually done a thumbs up. If you do a thumbs up, that really helps um, get that out there without even having to make a contribution because the algorithm sees that, just as No Trash has said, and it says, hmm, some humans are appreciating that. So, Ramiz, Ramiz, greeting from England. Thank you very much, Ramiz. Uh, one true moose. Is there an upper limit to how much vitamin K2, MK7 one should take? You bring up a really good point, one true moose. Um, people ask me that all the time, and I was talking with a patient specifically about this yesterday. We think, oh, my, the typical K2, vitamin K2 dosage you'll see is about 100 micrograms. Pardon me just a second. I've got patients today, and I'm wanting to make sure that I'm not going into patient time. Okay, so um, you'll typically see 100 micrograms on a K2 D3 tablet. That's, to me, woefully inadequate. The only uh, randomized clinical trials that I've seen using K2 and looking at prediabetes, which is what I think this works for, used three to 400 micrograms. And guess what? If you go on Amazon or some of the similar uh, merchant sites, you might find um, Life Extension Institute, uh, Doctors Best, some of the others have what they call a megadose vitamin K2. And that is in milligram doses. So milligram is what? A hundred, a thousand times the dose of a microgram. Now, where do you see those and what are those supposedly for? Those are for osteopenia. So the evidence is out there that it helps with osteopenia as well. But what that also says, as my patient yesterday pointed out, is, well, gosh, these three and 400 microgram doses are very, very safe. We've got people taking milligram doses. Thank you so much, One True Moose. Alberto Padawani, I'm 68 years old, high blood pressure. What test do you recommend to determine the amount of plaque I have in my arteries? I recommend you get a craft insulin survey to understand what level of risk you may have. What's your driving mechanism? the root cause. I also recommend, but that doesn't show you whether or not you've got plaque. Don't do a, a stress test. Those don't really, they miss way too many. CIMT, calcium score, <clears throat> and a um, CT angiogram. All of those are non in, relatively non-invasive. Clearly CIMT, no invasion at all. Uh, calcium score has, has a little bit of radiation and the um, uh, the uh, radiation CT or the uh, CT angiogram, you do inject some dye. So calcium scores, the easiest, the safest, and it's the one I recommend. I mean, not calcium score, CIMT, easiest, safest, the one I recommend. <coughs> we do use a lot of calcium scores, and we do use a few uh, CT angiograms. I hope that helped. Yes, Bart, everyone hit the button. Well, after that strong plea, we got one other person to hit the button. I get it. <clears throat> Remise, how can I decrease ApoB without statin? The lifestyle issues. 
again, as we talked, um, lifestyle is very, very important. Now, one thing you'll find, and I had uh, David, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name right now, um, the big uh, lean mass hyper-responder researcher, uh, I had him on a couple of months ago. Some people, not, not all, but some people, and we'll figure out the genetics on it at some point, actually increase their LDL and their ApoB significantly when they go low carb. Those people, <clears throat> also, they, you know, their doctors panic, they panic, uh, and they probably shouldn't. They should probably stay the course. But how do you lower it without a statin? Even if you're taking a statin, uh, lifestyle is much, much more important. Vijaya Akar, if a woman who has not reached menopause and has plaque, if a woman hasn't reached menopause, has plaque, taking aspirin caused bleeding issues during cycles. Uh, <clears throat> that's out of my league. I mean, I've seen that happen. Uh, the question is, uh, how do you define bleeding issues? It might cause some increased bleeding. It might decrease clotting, some things like that. <clears throat> Margaret D., this may not be relevant, but I've recently had terrible muscle pains, no statins, also had a long bout of bronchitis, started prednisone, muscle pain just vanished. Systemic inflammation? Could be. I mean, you clearly do have some inflammatory diseases that, uh, that impact muscles and do cause muscle pain. Uh, <clears throat> uh, steroid, uh, steroids are not uh, the most common out-of-the-box treatment for those, but yeah, I wouldn't rule that out at all. Bart, can I take natokinase supplement if I'm already taking K2 with vitamin D? I do, and I recommend that. Vijaya Akar, taking niacin causes high histamine. Um, it causes, uh, it, it's not, it's questionable whether or not it's histamine itself. It is a thing called a prostaglandin. So, um, Niacin causes release of a prostaglandin. The original niacins had nothing in there um, to deal with this issue. And I remember taking them, gosh, 30 years ago, 40 years, uh, 20 years ago. And it felt like the top of my head was just coming off. Just somebody was scalping me. And that's because of the prostaglandin impact. <clears throat> they, when, you want, when you start getting into the whole debate about niacin, so what they also said was, you know, they used a chemical called lapropriant, lapropriant. And the guys that made the lapropriant uh, niacin um, uh, capsule, that was big pharma. They had this capsule and it was lapropriant added to niacin and it didn't cause the flush. Well, it didn't help it any either. So the same thing that did away with the flush did away with the positive impact. So talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. If you've ever heard that phrase, that's an old Southern phrase. You threw the baby out with the bathwater, meaning you got rid of the bad, but you got rid of the good. So people, doctors saw that study, and I think that one was the aim high. It might have been uh, um, HPS2 Thrive, but I think it was aim high. They saw that and they said, well, dang, it's uh, this niacin, with lapropion in it is not working. So uh, niacin doesn't work. Come on. Uh, the Europeans were smarter than that. The Americans weren't. 
anyhow, that's just some brief comments about that. If you want the details on that debate, again, go to my series of videos on it. Angela DeLorenzo, don't you live in Lexington? I do. Um, yes, I do. Uh, dead end. One true moose. I take MK7 and D3. I think, Angela, you might be saying, well, so why are you starting clinics in Alabama? Uh, because that's where the need is. Um, that's where the need is. Uh, dead end. Uh, one true moose. I take MK7 and D3. I take th 300 micrograms of MK7, 3,000 international units of D3. I eat a handful of nuts with them and as they need fats for absorption. I do this in the early morning. Um, for a long time, I took about three to 400 micrograms of K2 myself and the, um, the natto powder. John, Jan, John, 54-year-old, had COVID, developed PVCs, blood work. PVCs are what premature ventricular contractions. It's, a, it's an extra heartbeat a heartbeat that went through the wrong pathway and looks real funny and sometimes feels funny. Blood work, echo normal, LDLs ran uh, 100 to 130, triglyceride over HDL, less than 1.5. Well, that's good. VLDL, a very low uh, density lipoproteins under 13. That's also good because those are called remnant uh, cholesterol and that appears to be one of the bigger risk components. CT angiogram, CTA, in two weeks to check underlying issues. What results from CTA are of interest? <coughs> well, then you're starting to get into some questions about, so how do you know, in, in any one of these tests, it's one thing to get the test. It's a totally different thing to interpret it. So that's what we're talking about with the webinars. And uh, um, LPG mentioned that he's going to be joining a webinar. The only webinar we're doing right now is the Got Sugar webinar. And... That's the real value. Number one, picking out the actual test. And then number two, most importantly, helping interpret it. Because even if you get uh, an OGTT, most docs really don't know how to interpret it. With the CT angiogram, there's no positive negative. There is some component of positive. Yes, you have plaque. But there's also some indications of whether or not you have soft plaque, but those are not really that reliable at this point in time. It's still a work in progress. The, best, the biggest and the most practical use, two, two use points uh, for CT angiogram. One is, yes, you have plaque, or no, you don't. The second one, and most people, by the time they're getting a CT angiogram, have enough evidence to where we know most people know, even before they get the CT angiogram, yes, they have plaque. Here's the second thing that you tend, that very practical use that you tend to get from CT angiogram. Um, Jerry Kurth shared that on the channel once. He said, I got my CT angiogram. It was ugly. I made, I printed out the picture and I put it on my refrigerator. So there, then every time I started to go get uh, get off my diet. In order to get off my diet, I had to go through that reminder that I have plaque. So, <clears throat> hope that's helpful. David Drake, when I took niacin, it would flare my gout. It's not a panacea. I don't know any panaceas on here except for proper diet, proper exercise, proper sleep, 
Those are panaceas. Statins are not a panacea. Vitamin D3 is not a panacea. Um, niacin, as you point out, David, is not a panacea. Thank you so much for that comment. Paul S. Hi, Doc. I have high cholesterol and triglycerides. My doctor put me on Lipitor 20. I had carotid, oh, carotid, carotid artery ultrasound and am 100% clear. Should I stay on statins? You know, we get that a lot. Thank you so much, Paul, for bringing it up. I, I use the term CIMT a lot. And people equate it with carotid artery ultrasound. And you go, and, and a lot of people go to the, uh, to the hospital and they ask, you know, they've seen this on our videos and they say, well, can I get a CIMT? And the hospital says, yeah, well, that's a carotid artery ultrasound. Yes, we can do that. They get them and they say, you're clear. Well, they saw some plaque in there, but unless it's over 50% blockage, they'll say it's clear. So, no, the, a... Carotid ultrasound is the basic technology used, but a CIMT is a, uh, it's a um, high-tech uh, statistical analysis to look to see just how much plaque you have. Do you have more than you should based on your age and demographics? And is that um, inside that plaque, is it calcified or is it soft? Those are very, very different questions from what you're going to get from a carotid artery ultrasound. So if your doc has said, okay, we did a carotid ultrasound, you're fine. Mm. That's about like saying, okay, we did a stress test, you're fine. I would be afraid. I, I would not rely on that alone. And part of my fear would be I've got a doctor who doesn't really know how to assess plaque. Hope that helps, Paul S. Margot Beck, I have 60% carotid artery block and my doctor recommends a stent. Got a second opinion that says treat it with statins, lifestyle, et cetera. Well, your, your second opinion, just based on some of the basics, probably knows a little bit more about prevention than your first. Monitor closely. What do you recommend? I'm going to say it. I've said it multiple times. I, I, you know, I've said two things multiple times. Number one, I can't be your doctor on this channel. We have to actually, we have to go through your details. But I can say this, and I have said it multiple times. The, I just quote the research, the Orbiter trial, the um, Courage trial. You've already heard me say these same things two or three times on this video. The, um, the um, ischemia trial. All of these are globally known understood trials which have shown stents don't prevent heart attacks. That's, I'm just quoting what's out there. No trash in heaven, $20. Thank you so much, no trash. I, and thank you for what, for all you do, Doc. Thank you so much, uh, no trash. Kurt Bryant, I show 51. Uh, in terms of I'm not sure what you're talking about. If you're talking about uh, participants, we've got 120 right now. Uh, Drizzly, hey doc, I've been feeling testicular pain for about 30 hours now. It hurts whenever I sit down or walk. Um, I was gonna make the comment, don't just sit on testicular pain, but that sounds like a bad pun. Don't ignore testicular pain. Do not ignore it. 
there's a thing called testicular torsion, which can result in loss of the testicle. It's a very, very serious issue. Um, and you just first need to make sure that nothing serious like that is going on. And you can't really do that by guessing or by denial. People, you know, denial is, we all like to deny stuff. I do too. Or Ruth Kamiani, no known upper limits to MK4. I take 4,500 milligrams daily. Thank you, Aura Ruth. And I would agree, I have not seen any toxic levels of MK4, vitamin K2. Dr. Robert Winnegar, thank you, doctor. I saw a calcium score go from 52 to 49 in one year after lots of homemade natto. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Winnegar. And I will say this, <clears throat> they say you can never get a reversal of calcium score. And whoever they is, is wrong. You clearly can. I've had a couple of people that had significant reversals. Uh, John Lorscheider, who used to be, who used to run the channel for us, John actually documented a 30 to 50% decline in calcium score. It is the biggest decline in calcium score I have ever seen. I'm just very impressed with what he did. Jerry Kurth also did a, a video showing probably about a 15% decrease in calcium score. So it does happen. There's no question. But um, I'll just leave it at that and we'll move on. Alex Beckham, have a little plaque. Lost 50 pounds, five months, low-carb diet. LDL went up from 150 to 200. Cardiologist is pushing for 40 milligrams of Lip Lipitor. Advice, be afraid, be very afraid. So again, that's uh, Alex, you sound like uh, the typical lean mass hyperresponder. Um, and again, just look up Ford Brewer lean mass hyperresponder. Uh, we've got several videos on it. We talk about it. We're, uh, there's research going on right now. I've actually, again, seen some of the standard purveyors of medicine. I think, I'm sure it was in Harvard Health for Men where one of the uh, Harvard cardiologists was talking about, it's a known entity where some people have their LDL go way up when they go low carb. That does not necessarily mean that there's a negative health impact. In fact, we know that the weight loss that's driving that is a good thing. And as I said before, the comments and concerns I have about using Lipitor still stand. <clears throat> Tired looking for name. Thank you so much. I keep blanking on Dave's last name. It's Feldman. <coughs> Feldman, F-E-L-D-M-A-N. Dave Feldman, the lean mass hyperresponder guy. And he came on our channel and gave us, he got really technical. If you think I get geeky, uh, go back and look up Dave Feldman's video on our channel. Or Ruth, oops, 45 milligrams, 45,000 micrograms. She's talking about uh, MK7, K2. Or with uh, CG, not sure what that means. Oh, micrograms. Okay, John, $10. Thank you again. Thank you for sharing your knowledge, Dr. Brewer. Look forward to more of your content and expertise. And that is it. We made it through the, uh, through the questions for today. 
Got a lot of uh, questions, a lot of interest. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.